So I hope you took some time this afternoon to really evaluate your own heart before the Lord. I think you would find, like I found with myself, that there are areas of this that I need to grow in, you need to grow in, we all need to grow in, and that is in the area of submission. This afternoon, I want to finish out that message this morning, and I just want to read verse 21 of Ephesians 5. And be subject or submissive, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so we talked about this morning that one of the most overlooked thing, and perhaps one of the most despised words in our culture today is the word submission. You can add to that any thought of obeying or any words of authority. And of course, you know, in the old traditional wedding vows, the wife pledges to love and what? Obey her husband. And in many cases today, that happens to be left out of the vows. But obedience and authority and headship and submission is inclusive in all of these terms together. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 verse 21 that we are to be submissive to one another in the fear of the Lord. And we looked at this morning this aspect that our submission is to be done unto God in the fear of Christ. It is Christ himself who commanded us to be submissive. And it is Christ Himself who has instituted this and given us structure and authority in this world and definitely within the body of Christ for us to be submissive to. And we learn that this submission in the fear of Christ, the word fear there isn't like we're cowering or you know, we're afraid somebody's going to pick up you know, a whip and to whip us. It is a fear of displeasing the authority, of displeasing the one who has the headship over another. So if you're at work, in every place at work you have a boss. To walk in submission in the fear of Christ would be to walk before that boss, fearful, fearing the Lord, that you would displease him in displeasing your who? Your boss, right? You don't want to be an unsubmissive employee. You don't want to be an unsubmissive believer, but we are to be submissive unto the Lord with all fear of displeasing him. And if that really is our heart, then we also have a fear of displeasing the ones that God has placed over us in authority. And we looked at Romans chapter 13, and one of those things, one of those institutions that God has placed over all human beings is this word called government. Every nation has a what? Has a government. And we are to be submissive unto the king and to those that are in authority. And we are to be submissive even to those to whom the king sends. Governors and messengers and all that. And we're even to be submissive to the Internal Revenue Service. Right? In fact, the Bible says this is the very reason you pay taxes. (laughs) Okay? And so... You know, in these areas, we are to be submissive because, not just because we don't want to go to jail or we don't want the punishment that would come from the authority, but because we are in obedience to Christ himself who has ordered us, commanded us to be obedient. Now this afternoon, I want us to close out our message by looking at and understanding What is the sphere of our submission? And then secondly, the context of our submission. And I think this would be very helpful for us as we go through and look at this. The Bible says in verse 21 that we are to be submissive to who? To one another. 
to one another is one of the spheres in which we are to show our honor, our submission, our obedience to one another. And when you read one another in the epistles of the New Testament, what you need to think is church, the church body. We are to love who? One another. We are to be praying one for another. We are to be mutually submissive one to another. These are actions, at least in verse 21, this sphere is the sphere of the church body. Then you have the sphere, if you look down in verse 22, you have the sphere of what? Of a wife. And by the way, the wife, the husband, the children, the fathers, the slaves, the servants, all of these people are professing believing people. How do I know that? Well, it says in chapter 6 and verse 9 that the masters are to do the same thing to them and give up threatening knowing that both their master, the master's master, and yours, the slave's master, is where? is in heaven. So what we have here is Paul giving instruction to the church body, to different people within that church body on how they are to be submissive in whatever sphere of submission that God has placed them in. Now, not every sphere is mentioned here. For instance, government is not mentioned here, right? But we know from other passages of Scripture, government is part of that sphere in which we are to be submissive to. So you have the sphere of the church body, verse 21. You have the sphere of the wife, and that's seen in verses 22 through 24. And then verse 33, down at the bottom there of that chapter. Then you have this sphere. We have not only wives, we we have husbands. And so there is this fear, and that is verse 25 of chapter 5 down through verse 33. You have instructions to the husband, like you have to the wife, like you have within the church body. Then in chapter 6, you have this fear. You have children. That's in verses 1 through 3. And of course, these are professing, believing children that are... having believing who? Believing parents. And so you have that sphere. How is this submission to be seen there? Then you have a specific instruction given in verse 4, and that is to those who are fathers. Now you can be married and not be a father, right? But if you have children, then you have also this sphere, your relationship to your children And in verse 4 of Ephesians 6, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there's another sphere that we are to have submission unto the Lord in. And then we have this sphere, and this is in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, and that is the word slaves. And of course, in the Roman Empire, they had literal slaves. And so he speaks to that. You can imagine, here's a church, Right? People are saved, and in that church, would there be believing slaves? There would be believing slaves, and perhaps in the same church, their masters would also be believers. And in fact, you could have this unusual situation where you could be a slave outside of church, but be an elder in the church over your master. And can you imagine the possible difficulties that that might drive. Now don't think American slavery when you think Roman slavery, but the fact of the matter is is that they did have slaves. And so there would be a sphere there in chapter 6 in verses 5 through 8. And then the last sphere is given in chapter 6 in verse 9. Masters do the same things to them and give up threatening knowing that there is no partiality with God. God doesn't show partiality to the slave or to the child or to the husband or to the wife or to the father. 
No one has special place before his eyes. He is consistent with all groups of people, is he not? So obey the Lord in that. So as I mentioned, these are not all the relationships we have in life, but these are primary relationships that we do have. And of course, our attitude is to have an attitude of a meek and quiet spirit, of having a lamb-like, Christ-like spirit in all of those relationships. And more than just listed here. So here we have the sphere. Everybody see the sphere here. This is where we're exercising this. This is where Paul is commanding and exhorting the church. So secondly, let's look at the context of this submission. What is Paul saying when he says, verse 21, be subject to one another? What is he saying in verse 24 when he says this, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in how many things? Everything. So the question naturally is, is is everything really what? Is everything really everything? So what is the context that we're looking at when Paul is speaking of submitting ourselves one to another or a wife submitting to her husband or a husband showing leadership in love in his home or children showing submission to their parents or fathers in dealing with their children or a slave-master relationship. What, what is the context of this mission? And folks, I think first of all, in order to answer that, we need to make sure that we understand this. No authority, no authority has absolute authority. The only one who has absolute authority over any man is God Himself. It doesn't matter how high a position you are, you could be King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of all the world at that time. You could be King Nebuchadnezzar and even the king himself does not have all absolute authority. Now why is that? Well, there could be many reasons, but here's one. Men and women are sinful. We don't always do and say rightly. Only one person does that, and that is the Lord Himself. So what is the context of this submission? Well, I think that we need to remind ourselves that this submission in verse 21 is a result of being filled with the content of the words of Christ by the Spirit of God. Hopefully you remember that. In other words, it says being filled with the Spirit. What is that? I mentioned this morning. It's being filled with all the fullness of God. How does that fullness of God come to us? It comes through the words of God. So Colossians chapter 3 says, instead of being filled with the Spirit, it says, let the words of Christ dwell richly where? In us. So here's what we have. We have the words of Christ dwelling richly in us. That's what the Holy Spirit is filling us with. And He is granting to us illumination and understanding of those words. So the context of our submission is the context of walking in agreement with God's eternal purpose. What is that eternal purpose? to sum up all things in Christ. How does He do that? He calls a people. He predestinates a people. He regenerates a people. He gives them the deposit of the Holy Spirit. He makes them new creations in Christ, does He not? 
So the context of this submission is this eternal purpose of God. That we would walk in the good works which God prepared beforehand. What are those good works? Again, a review. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, etc. So understanding that, what would it then mean with this command to the church body? Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. It would look like this. We are to submit. We are to obey. One another in the church as each one of us teaches, admonishes, and exhorts each other to walk worthy of the calling by which we have been called. Now think about that just for a second. If we're telling each other the words of Christ, did Christ say, walk worthy of this calling? Did He not? Did Christ not say to submit? He gave that command. So if you went up to another person in our congregation and said, I just want to admonish you to walk worthy of Christ in this particular arena. What should be that person's response? Submission. Obeying what that person is exhorting you to do. Does everybody see what I'm saying? Christ tells us to be submissive, to be submitting to one another. Well, it can't be me just walking up to you and saying, oh, I know we're all here at church, but I'm telling you, go get me a glass of tea. And you say, well, the Bible says I have to be submissive. He's the pastor. I'm going to go get a glass of tea. Now, you might do that. But that would be voluntary. It wouldn't even be obligatory. But if I come to you and say, now brother or sister, here's an area that I'm concerned about that you need to walk worthy in Christ in. That has an obligation for you to what? To obey that. Everybody following me? It doesn't matter whether it's coming from me as an elder or a leader, or it's coming from the person at the other end of the pew. If that person is exhorting us something that Christ Himself exhorted us to walk in a particular spirit, we need to hear that, and we need to obey that. I need to submit myself to to that person. And folks, that's fine if it's a person who you respect, but if it's a person that you don't respect and they tell you to do that, you have a reaction to that. But folks, even if a rock tells you to do something, and I mean a literal rock, tells you to do something that is in agreement with Christ's command, are you to do it? Are you to do it if your six-year-old inadvertently comes up to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, I thought the Bible says this, and your heart is smitten? And what do you do? You say to that six-year-old person, You're right, I'm sorry, forgive me, and walk worthy of the calling by which you have been what? Have been called. This is this mutual encouragement one to another that is to go on in the house of God. 
Submitting to one another in the church is that we submit as we teach, admonish, and exhort one another to walk worthy of that calling by which we have been called to the praise of the glory of His grace. And folks, you know that's true if you just think through the Scripture, you think about the manner of church discipline. A person is supposed to respond to the admonition of the church body, are we not? We're to respond to a person if a person comes up to you and says, hey, you need to consider this. We need to be bearing one another's burdens. We need to be praying for one another. And at times, there has to be admonishing one to another. Even Paul does this in his epistles. He talks to Iodius and Syntyche. He says, now look, he calls their name out in the congregation and says, you two ladies need to get along. Was that unloving? No. What should be their response? Submitting. Obeying. That exhortation. Now folks, I think if we think and remember that context, I think it becomes a little bit easier for us to deal with this word called submission. Now my supposition and what I'm teaching you is this, is that the context is this eternal purpose of God to be taught and admonished and exhorted for us to walk in those good works that God has foreordained before the foundation of the world. Alright. Now I want to look at the other spheres and I want to see if I'm right. Let's look at the husband. Let's pick on the husbands for a while. Look at verse 25. I'm just going to read it. Husbands, love your wives. Is love part of the eternal purpose? Yes. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. All right, let me ask you. Is that in agreement with the eternal purpose of God? Is Christ cleansing us? Is Christ changing us? Is Christ growing us up? Is the fruit of the Spirit supposed to be coming more and more abounding in our life? Yes or no? That's the husband's responsibility to his wife. That she grows up in all these things in the purposes of God. And the husband is to give up his life for this. Now ladies, what do you think your responsibility would be if your husband is seeking scripturally to wash you and to grow you up in the eternal purposes of God and to be a constant encouragement to you to walk a worthy walk, what do you think, even before you read the Scripture, what do you think the wife's response ought to be to that? Amen? It ought to be to what? To obey it. To submit to that. And that's exactly what the Scripture says. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. How? As to who? The Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, now what's Christ doing in the church? He's bringing about His eternal purposes, right? For just as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be their husbands in how much of that? 
in everything, in everything that your husband is exhorting you that is in agreement with the scripture, you ought to say amen to that. You ought to submit to that. Because your husband is to love you in this way and to give up himself for this to happen. Because his desire with that is the same desire that's written in Ephesians 1 and verse 4. His desire is that you and him would be holy and blameless before the Lord. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Well, what do you think children ought to be doing as the husband and the wife are exhorting them to walk a worthy walk? Folks, what do you think their position ought to be to that? To obey it. To obey it. And so it says in Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents... In who? In the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so they may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Folks, think about the beauty of this. You have a church whose ambition is to be well-pleasing to God, that we actually fear to disobey the Lord. And we are making it our mindset... to be born again and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. This brings God glory in the church. And then the husbands within that church, they're doing the same thing in their homes. And they're doing the same thing with their wives. And the husbands and the wives are doing the same thing with their children. It's all in the Lord just like the Lord is doing in the church. You know, just thinking about that in my mind's eye just brings a real delight in my spirit just thinking about that happening. Well, what do you think about dads and their children? What do you think it means when it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? What's Paul been instructing the church? What's Paul been instructing each other? What's Paul been instructing to the husbands? What's Paul been instructing to the wives? What are the children listening to? All right? You bring up your children in exactly the same way, in the same discipline that Christ is doing to the church. And what do you think the children's response to that ought to be? Anger? No. Submission. Submission. And folks, it's the same thing with the slaves in verses 5-8 through of Ephesians 6. They're to be obedient to their masters, and here's their spirit. Fear and trembling to displease the Lord. Sincerity of your heart, verse 5, as to who? Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the what of God? The will of God. What is that will? That Christ would be exalted in every area of the universe. Verse 7, for them to express goodwill in their service to their masters. They're to do it as to the Lord and not to men. Verse 8, they're to do good to their masters. Good as God defines good. Because the person, whatever good thing you do, you will receive back from the Lord whether you are a slave or free. Does everybody see that? Folks, we're not doing anything but walking in those good works that God has foreordained for us to walk in. And in every sphere of responsibility and relationship in our life, we're to express this. 
And even with masters, verse 9, masters do the same things to your slaves and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Folks, this is our submission. We are to have an attitude of submission from our children to our fathers and mothers to the husbands and the wives to the elders and the believers within a congregation. We are to walk with a spirit of submission one to another. Now when that happens, we are, we are to be submissive to this. Without question, in everything, we're to be submissive with this. Now, I think, I think that we all can agree with that. But the problem is, is we don't live in heaven. In case you don't know that. In other words, it is, if I had the perfect father, <laughs> that would make my submission way easier, would it not? If I had, wives, if you had perfect husbands, wouldn't that make submission way easier? But husbands aren't perfect, wives aren't perfect, fathers aren't perfect, slaves aren't perfect, masters aren't perfect, everybody knows children aren't perfect. Right? Now I have in my own mind, and this is for me, I didn't get this from anyone, but in my own mind, I have several tiers of submission in how we are to respond in that area. What I have described to you is what I call level one. That is, in everything, in the fear of displeasing the Lord, we are commanded to obey our leaders and to submit one to another in this arena of God's eternal purpose. We are to imitate Hebrews chapter 13. We are to obey our leaders, our elders in the church, and submit considering the result of their conduct. We are to imitate their faith. And that is part of the eternal purpose, faith, right? We are to imitate their faith. And in everything that involves Christ working in the church and working out this eternal purpose and growing us up and developing the fruit of the Spirit, we're to submit, period. But there is a level two. And we have to have a level two because relationships are tricky. I'm going to relate to you very quickly. I did not come up with this, but seven things that make differences between relationships heightened. Number one, we all have dogmatic views on certain things. Can that differ? That can differ. If I were to ask the children, do your parents have dogmatic views? They'd all just go, yes. But what parents don't understand is that children can develop dogmatic views also. And those dogmatic views can clash, can't they? Secondly, <clears throat> normally in our relationships, we consider our own conscience about something as infallible. We can have an oversensitive conscience. We can have a hardened conscience. We can have a seared conscience. And folks, I want to remind you that every one of our consciences have to be scripturally renewed. 
but I can register something as sinful and someone else can say, I don't have any problem with that. But each person considers their own conscience as the infallible God. So if you don't agree with my conscience, then I have problems with you. Thirdly, we all have differing maturities and immaturities. Someone could be scripturally more mature than someone else. If my child asked me at age six to drive the car, would any of you say, okay? The child says, well, my conscience says there's nothing wrong with me driving the car. Parent, ah, don't want you driving the car. Well, if you don't let me drive the car, then I'm going to feel bad about it. I'm sorry. You're not doing what? You're not driving the car. What's the difference? Maturity, right? Maturity. A six-year-old is not mature enough to drive a car, regardless of what the six-year-old thinks. All my children at six years old thought they knew everything. So there's different maturities. Fourthly, there's also differing understandings of the Scripture. We're all not where we ought to be understanding our Bibles. But normally, when I've had scriptural discussions where somebody differed with me, they just for sure, for sure knew that they had all the understanding of the Bible on that subject. Fifthly, our background and our experiences can make cloudy our perspective. Someone could tell you something to do that is truthful, but do it with a mean, angry spirit, and every time you hear somebody mention that truth, you associate it with a mean and angry what? Mean and angry spirit. That can cause difficulties. Sixthly, Bible truth affects people differently. And what I mean by that isn't that we have different understandings. What I mean by that is Joe could accept the truth whereas another person, Sam, may have to accept the truth but it's going to cost him more if he does that truth. Here's an example. If you've never had to work on the Lord's Day, Sunday is the Lord's Day. I know it's hard to believe. There used to be a day nobody worked on Sunday. <laughs> I lived through it. I was there. I know about it. <clears throat> okay. Someone else may have only known having to work on Sunday. So if they hear preaching about the dedication of the Lord's Day, it's His day, right? And I'm listening to that, and I've never had to work on Sunday. How does that truth affect me? Go get it, preacher. But if you're working on that Sunday, for you to obey that, it's going to cost you something, isn't it? And you could react to that because of the personal sacrifice that you would have to do to obey that. Everybody with me? So, you got to preach the truth, right? But it can affect different people differently in the amount of painful sacrifice that it would take for them to obey that truth. And then lastly, and I know you're aware of this, but God has created diversity among us. And we all have different perspectives and different opinions and different outlooks on things. And folks, you know what? God God has designed it that way. So for us to expect, let's just talk about our church here. For us to expect 
that all of us, every one of us, would have the same exact opinion on a subject. It's probably unreasonable. (laughs) Would you agree? And folks, that happens in a home. People grow and they have their own opinions and their own judgments. I'll never forget my dad looking at me right in the eye after I voiced something that I was vehemently in disagreement with him about. And he just looked at me and said, when you have your own home, you can do it your way. And I said, yes, sir. (laughs) And then I got my own home and I did it my way. You know what I found out? His way was better. Right? There's that differing maturity. Right? Differing experiences all create this. <clears throat> and folks, we're, this is where the level two of the area of submission falls into play. If level one is that I'm, I submit in everything dealing with God's eternal purpose for me, this conformity to Christ, what is level two? It is that I must maintain a spirit of submission. I must make it my business to be a submissive person in attitude. That means that I would be humble. That means that I could be easily entreated. That means that someone wouldn't have any problem coming up to me and saying, You know, I think you need to consider this area of of your life. That I need to be ready to obey. I need to be ready to give honor. I need to be ready to submit. Now folks, here's where the problem comes in, is that, for instance, if I say to you, Flee fornication. Is that a command of Christ? Your attitude should be submit to that without question, right? But if I start giving you the ways to flee fornication... Could we differ? We could differ, couldn't we? In other words, for instance, if I'm a parent and I say to my children, the children, I'm going to say something that's really going to cause you a lot of pain, okay? So I'm just telling you this right off the bat. If I say to my children, no smartphone till you're 18. I mean, there's children getting smartphones at age four. Okay, but let's just say I say that. And I say to you, now the reason why I'm doing this is because there is a danger on that phone of getting involved or being tempted by pornography. I think every adult would say, oh yeah, there is that temptation with that phone, right? But it's how we work out the explicit command that tests our submission. So if I say flee fornication, everybody's like, yes. If I start telling you how how to flee fornication. It's like, I don't know about that. So what do you do? Well, you should have a spirit easy to be entreated. You should be ready to submit and to honor and obey. Because... 
If your parent says no smartphone, your parent is not asking you to sin. Am I right? If I say no smartphone, is there a sin with that? There's no transgression with that at all. My dad, when he bought some nice furniture, he told me, he told me and my sister, you are not to sit on that furniture with shorts on. So, as a child, I said, why? He said, because I don't want your body oils getting on the furniture. The furniture was white, by the way. And you know what happens after you sit or walk on white things after a while. It gets discolored. I thought that was entirely unreasonable. You probably think it's entirely unreasonable. (laughs) But was it a sin? Yes or no? no? No. It was not a sin. My father was not commanding me to sin. So what should be my spirit? I'm going to tell you, it wasn't my spirit at the time. I wasn't even a believer, but what should be my spirit? Submission. Submission. And folks, our Lord did this. He was approached one time about not paying the temple tax. And Peter came to him and said, Master, we're not paying the temple tax. And the Lord looked at Peter and said, Well, do you tax the master of the temple? Do you tax the citizens of the temple? And the answer to that is what? No. And he said, You're right. But Peter, lest we give them offense... In other words, he had no responsibility to pay the temple tax. But lest we give offense, Peter, you go cast in your net, pull up a fish, and in the fish's mouth would be the temple tax. Now don't you wish you pay your taxes that way? (laughs) But folks, my point is what? He submitted... Our Lord, when He was 12, submitted to His parents. Do you think His parents were perfect? This is God in human flesh. Folks, we have to maintain the spirit of submission because if our hearts harden against earthly authority, our hearts will harden against God's authority. And again, it's not the explicit things of the Scripture that we normally have problems with. It's how we work out those explicit commands. Now, in that level two, you could make an appeal A wife could make an appeal to a husband, could she not? And the husband might say, he's supposed to have a spirit of the lamb, he's supposed to be easy to be entreated, he listens to his wife, his wife gives him the reasons, they have a conversation about it, and the husband decides he's wrong. Is that okay? Every wife says, yes, of course. (laughs) You could make an appeal. But if the authority is not asking you to sin, You need to have a spirit ready to submit. And then there's level three. And level three is we need to maintain a fear of displeasing the Lord in the arena of His eternal purposes. We need to maintain a fear of displeasing the Lord by maintaining a spirit of submission to every authority God has set up. And we also need to
to have a fear of displeasing the Lord if we have to disobey an authority. Folks, there are times where we have to disobey an authority in order to obey the Lord. And remember I told you, no authority has absolute power. For instance, and this is drawn from our Bible, if our nation passed a law that said it is forbidden to witness of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't get haughty about it. We should be praying for our government. We should be maintaining a spirit of submission. But can we obey that? No. no. We cannot obey that. We must confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That can happen in a school. <clears throat> we had a situation here in our congregation many years ago young lady, I greatly admired her for doing this. She was in high school. And the teacher was teaching on evolution. And I forget what the teacher said, but she said something like inviting any type of questions. And this particular young lady stood up in class and asked about Bible creation. That God, not by evolution, but God directly created the heavens and the earth by His Word. This was at a public school. She did it with the right spirit. She did it with the right attitude. And you know what happened? They laughed her to scorn. But did she please the Lord? Yes. Yes. She pleased the Lord. So folks, everybody see that? These are just helpful for me. A tier one, where if we're exhorting one another from the Scripture, in agreement with the Scripture, according to God's eternal purposes, our spirit should say amen and yes to that. There is a level two, and that is we're to maintain a spirit of submission that even if we disagree, we need to have the right spirit about it. And if they're not asking us to sin, then as much as lies within us, we're to live at peace with all men. And then there is this level three. <clears throat> that since I'm doing my submission in the fear of the Lord, as unto the Lord, as is fit in the Lord, then there might be occasions where I have to disobey in order to obey Christ. And folks, I think that if you just think through those and think through the context of this book of Ephesians, I think you can readily see. Take some time and just read through chapter 5, verse 22, down through chapter 6 and verse 9. I think you'll see that everything that he's exhorting husbands and wives to do are all in agreement with the mystery of His will. And to that, we all say, Amen to that, to the glory of God. Let's pray.